Hey everybody, we're the Con Artists. We're back for Winter Bi-Weekly Cast number two, and I'm back, so I know you're all super excited about that. Yeah! Yeah! Ooh. So good. All right, um, so Dan, I think you started last time with Onie, and that show seemed pretty interesting. How's that going? I actually, well, I watched through episode four, episodes three and four, uh, these past couple of weeks, and... I honestly don't see myself continuing on with it. It's not a terrible really? show, but I, it's not terrible. I just, I don't see it going anywhere particularly interesting, mainly because I just don't care about the main character. He's, I, he feels like a character that everyone watching the show already knows, but I have no experience with it because Onehei is actually this huge Japanese kind of franchise thing. There's, there's movies and TV serials that have been going for like, I think it's like 20 years or something. Oh, so, holy cow. Yeah, I did a right, little bit. a bit, bit of dense li- to get into the middle of. Yeah, and these are, I guess, just, you know, stories of his uh, of his adventures as this uh, police officer. And while they definitely, you know, have some kinds of interesting bits here and there, it's very steeped in what feels like genre material that I'm just not feeling personally. So I ended up letting that one go. It may still be worthwhile for anyone who likes their crime dramas, particularly violent. But uh, for me, nah, just uh, just not doing it. So unfortunately, for my unique shows, or rather the ones that I'm only I'm following, that leaves me with Handshakers. And oh, Handshakers, thank goodness! Do you know how excited I was when oh. I like sat down to edit this, and I was like, "Live the dream, Dan! Live the dream!" <laughs> that must. <laughs> That must have been an interesting listen. No, it was, oh. it was just great. For, for everyone's backstory really quick, I was desperately, fakely trying to get us all to pick handshakers for our rolling review, but Dan just, Dan wouldn't let us do it. Ugh, Dan. <laughs> I I felt that I needed to take this bullet for the team. <laughs> Thank goodness Live the dream! <laughs> Anywho, um, so handshakers continues. It's actually gotten worse in some ways because it stopped being... It, the first two episodes are like, wow, this is so bad. It's hilarious. Now it's just, oh, God, this is so bad. The honeymoon because, period is over. Mm-hmm. The first the first two episodes are, you know, the bare bones setup. Like, we have our first fight, uh, which it, we have our first fight in this alternate dimension between these two pairs of handshakers. Uh, the protagonist kid and his mute girlfriend beat the uh, other two. Uh, and then in the third and fourth episode uh we are introduced to another pair of handshakers including uh this like young salaryman type guy uh who works at who also works at a restaurant and his boss a woman who for some reason hasn't aged out of looking like a middle schooler no that's just creepy come on no explanation is ever given to her credit she acts more like an adult than like a child but it's very hard to tell when, you know, she still looks like a middle schooler. And it's like, oh. did, they never say, does, does she have a medical condition? Is she cursed? That's a possibility in is this world. Is she secretly an extra from Petite Princess Yussi? Oh, no. <laughs> she would have she been downgraded really hard in that case. But um, anyway, uh, so they meet up with these two. And at first, they don't know that each other are handshakers. But... Uh, Eventually, the, the that pair figures it out uh, pretty quickly, and they have to fight. And when you're defeated, you're not killed. You're n- you don't. Nothing happens to you except that you get knocked out of the alternate world, and 
you lose your power. Because, you know, of course, the alternate world lets them have all those big fights that tear up all the scenery but don't actually cause any lasting damage. You know, that old, that old uh, chestnut of uh, anime tropes. Well, you but, gotta have that. Yeah. Oh, Otherwise, takes... we'd have policemen. This thing would turn into wizard barristers. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. Hey, well, they it even could tra- turn good. It could be Patlabor. Or it okay, could be, okay. or it could at least have interesting effects like Gaugaigar. Gaugaigar, yes. Dividing driver. <laughs> anyway, let's no. stop talking about better shows. <laughs> Fine, back to handshakers. Sorry, oh. sorry to bring you all down. Um, but uh, so, like that fight takes place in like this horrible CG forest. Uh, the enemies that they're fighting this time have the ability to like create clone copies of themselves that attack. But all this really does is mean that the guy gets to fight a horde instead of just one on one. And, like, he he jumps up to a roof because apparently that means they can't surround him then. Uh, yeah. The, the strategies involved are elementary at best. But he beats them and, you know, they get knocked, they get knocked out of this. And it's like, well, guess we're not going to get our wish. Now we're going to mentor you on how this whole Handshakers thing works. It's like, you're a third of the way into your series... And you're still explaining the basics, not like advanced concepts or twists on how all of this works. You're explaining the basic concepts. Also, Maybe, okay. like, how many more basic concepts do you need? You go to this other world, you fight people. The end. I know, like, but they keep talking about it. They finally explain, you know, what handshakers are, but it still didn't really help. I still don't understand what the qualifications are. Do you just have to have a wish? Do you have to be two people that, you know, particularly care for each other and have the same goals? I mean, I can talk. I can probably, uh, I could probably make a case for a lot of people being handshakers in that case. But um, Scott, have you ever of... seen one of those movies where there people end up in a restaurant and they don't have money, so they just keep ordering food? No. Okay. Well, like it happens in comedy movies a lot. Like it happens in Hello Dolly. That's the one I like. That'll come to mind right now. But basically, like that's probably what handshakers is doing. It's like our plot is so worthless. <laughs> Just keep ordering more food. Just keep making up more stuff. Go, go, go. I guarantee uh, you that's what's happening. I suppose so, because they have all... It is, again, episode four. They have been reusing animation from episode one every single episode from that oh, point on. Oh, no. And Guys, it's not... It's Utna not too... did that, and it was awesome. You can't do that. No, 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 no. no, no. no. This is the thing. That was a particular sequence, and it was the same every single time... There was a reason for that. This is, no, this is supposed to be time has passed. These are other crowd scenes. It's the exact same crowd scene and you cannot hide it. Oh, one of those You guys are really bad at this. It's not about, yeah, it's not about repetition for the, it's not about repetition with any kind of artistic or narrative purpose. It's repetition because, holy crap, we've used up all of our time and energy making these scenes, and now we have no way of making new ones. Oh, jeez, what are we going to do now? Uh, uh, redo it, redo it. Just just put it back in there. Nobody will notice. Oh, we noticed. God, at least, at least go like the violence to Hamlin route and just pan over a still image for five minutes. Oh, no, nothing in this show can be still. Everything's moving, the camera's all wonky. Oh. But, uh, yeah, there's... There's not a lot more to say other than the fact that it continues in its, you know, sort of downward spiral. Uh, it seems like um, the kid's friend, this tarot-reading girl with the boobs the size of her head, that's not being hyperbolic again. They are literally as big as her noggin. Um, Japan, shame on yeah, you. They're going to be coming back as the uh, as the next uh, nemesis. 
So what, like s- each of the boobs is a nemesis? <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> like because that... you di- you didn't mention another character besides her, Dan. Oh jeez. Uh, well, she and she has her own. I don't know, partner or whatever. Oh, by the way, the partners all have these code names. Like, the first ones were, like, Break Chain and Bind Chain. It's like, why do you call yourselves that? I have no idea who you are. Why do you have an, Why do you have a pseudonym? And the other ones, whose names they already knew, called themselves, like, what was it? Like, Blade and Dagger or something like that. So they have settled on... I don't remember what they came up with for uh, the girl, Kiori, or whatever the heck her name is. But for the dude, they called him... What was it? Uh, single Gear. Because he's the only one who can fight, and his weapons his weapon is a sword made out of gears, which he can ride around like it's some kind of Segway. <gasps> he's wait, wait, he... Who came up with this name? Uh, the, like... the two that they beat who decided to mentor them. So this is their so... best mentoring, is like, your name is now Single Gear. How did yeah. they get their name? Uh, because they were being friendly before. Like, these are the... No, 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 that's the, like, how do you get named in general is my question. Do you, you make up your own some... name. Like, there's no... There's no reason for it. No one hands this down from on high. It's not a code name. It's just, well, we don't want them to track us down uh, in the real world, so we're just going to use these pseudonyms. Oh, okay. Huh. You know it's what like, this reminds me of? What are the odds that any of you people know where I live or who I am? Don't just use your first friggin' name then. This this or show lie. makes me think that like the creators watched Loveless and were like, oh man, we could totally do this. People ate this stuff up and then like they totally couldn't. Like they came to the <laughs> came to the forefront to make the show and they were like, oh man, we we have no freaking idea how to do this. And this is what we you're watching. We've been up so much more than we can chew. Yeah, exactly. It's like the poor man's <laughs> Loveless. It's Oh, it's just so bad. Like that's exactly what it reminds me of with this crazy battle system and, and the nicknames and everything. And Having oh, never God. seen Loveless but having kind of like existed on the periphery of it when it was coming out. Yeah, I can see where that comparison comes from. Yeah, anyway. I mean, Loveless had that like sexy, creepy edge to it, but this oh, there's is, nothing this sexy is just, about right, this. It's all stupid, creepy. Stupid, but it, it makes me think that they were like, "Oh, we could totally do this," and it's like, "No, no, you can't." Why did Why did you do that? Anyway, yeah, like the 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 amount of energy going into making this terrible continues to astound me. So uh, I will. I will stop talking about this now that I've used up like a third of our running time to complain about this show. Um, Because the only other show that I am following is Akka. And Scott, I know you probably have plenty to say about that, as you're the one who kind of turned me on to that. Yeah, Akka has actually been getting really good. So I'll be covering episodes three and four with this one. Uh, So Gene, the kind of main character, continues doing his inspections. Uh, But sort of the major plot arc in the background i guess is that there's it's there's believed that there's going to be a coup against the government of of this country and everyone has their suspicions as to whether or not gene is actually involved with the coup so there's these five powerful officers who sort of run the organization and like one of them thinks he's totally the guy and has hired spies to to watch him and one of them's like doesn't think he's the guy and thinks the guy hiring the spies is in fact trying to do the coup himself and so he talks to Gene to try to get him to like play off against the other guy. Like everywhere Gene goes, everyone knows who he is, assumes he's involved with the coup somehow, and tries to get on his side or to manipulate him for their for their goals in this upcoming coup, which may or may not even exist. <laughs> like it's it's pretty fascinating trying to watch all these different parties play off against each other. Uh but at the same time, like Gene has started receiving 
Like every every district he goes to, it seems like a cigarette makes its way to him through some surreptitious means. So everyone watching him is like, he keeps getting these cigarettes. Is he involved with a secret plotting organization? And even you, the viewer, don't really know. And this is like, kind of significant because cigarettes in this country, they're either banned or like highly, highly restricted. And this is like his one kind of flaunting of the rules. Well, as as an Aka officer, he has access to unlimited cigarettes and he smokes them publicly, which is sort of frowned upon since they're so rare. But he's just expensive. Care. Yeah. Uh, so that's his that's his deal. I hope in the end there is no coup and it's just like they were all trying to plan the chief's birthday party or something. Like that's the secret <laughs> at the very end. Uh, it, it seems plausible there might actually be no coup at all. But like now the king is involved and his son can't wait to take power and kind of wreck the whole current order and abolish Akka. But his his dad's way too clever for that. <laughs> so like one of the episodes is he holds this birthday party, like the king's birthday party and, and sort of the, or maybe it was the son's birthday party, I don't remember. But they he, the son believes he's going to abdicate the throne to his to this kid. And then like he just says, hey everyone, thank you for coming to this party. All right, sit back down. And the the prince is like, and? And the father's like, whatever could you possibly mean? <laughs> That's so awesome. He's just... He's just fuming but and everyone the kid, at the party is hmm? go ahead no 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 the kid the kid like this guy is what like 18 or something he's oh he's a complete punk oh he is a he is a total punk he is a he's a ponce at, who is like just abusive to his uh underlings but his underlings like absolutely is like i'm only doing this because i'm getting paid i have absolutely no loyalty to you other than to as a other than you being my paycheck yeah, and like a big and a big theme of the show is the country has been at peace for a hundred years, and everyone kind of believes, hey, we're a modern country. Like a coup couldn't possibly happen, but the more you see of the various in places in the country and things like this, the more it's like, well, maybe peace is actually pretty fragile in this country. Mm -hmm. uh, Especially like the fourth in... episode, yeah, focused around them going to a district that like there's thirteen districts in this country that all are, are autonomous basically, and this one has locked itself off from the rest of the world and is run by nobles who want to hold it to a, like a technological standard of a hundred years ago. So like carriages and old style food and like a caste system kind of based on royalty and the, or nobility and the, the commoners. And, and then you've got the Aka guys who have like cell phones and stuff and they do their inspection job, but they really aren't allowed to interact with the populace. So it's an interesting, almost Kino's journey kind of feel to, especially with this episode. Yeah. And one of the um, five chiefs is actually from there, and it helps immediately explain, like, why does this guy look like he stepped out of the 1800s? Oh, because, because he, he pretty did. much did. Right, and like, and the, actually, the plot of episode four focuses around a local coup in that district of like basically the common man trying to rise up and reintegrate with the rest of the country and get to have all those technological advantage while the noblemen's noble guys like hold them down with a sort of oppressive government or like their own government force yeah and the so, nice thing about it actually that i find is that it's oppressive yes and it's certainly you know certainly to be frowned upon and looked at as these guys are the villains but they're not cartoonishly evil they're not like it's like they're they're not cracking down in such a way and like it's like all right round them all up burn their homes and families it's like no you guys it's like hey all of you stop that we've got sticks eh. <laughs> Right, like there's barely any any guns or anything, so it's like just a, actual pitchforks and torches mob, uh, trying to fight off these guys who look like they stepped right out of Napoleonic France. Mm -hmm. uh, 
but I mean, it's an interesting episode. So I'm, I'm very interested in knowing where it's going in this this sort of uh, coup plot and seeing where it goes. So pretty cool. And how much Gene knows about any of it. Right. Like, because he looks on the surface just like, he feels a lot like Captain Tyler, like a guy who's just kind of doing his job and like can't be excited by anything. He's competent where Tyler isn't. But other than that, they feel like a very kind of similar kind of guy. Mm-hmm. laid back and mm-hmm. just sort of going with the flow doing their exactly. job and but always more observant than you give them credit for actually if you um if you guys do ever watch pat labor um the person who comes to mind is the uh commander of the second uh the second mobile uh unit he's very similar seems extremely lazy is not really particularly liked by any of his uh contemporaries or superiors but is actually probably the smartest man in the room yeah interesting all right so who who's uh who's got something next uh man. yeah tell us about kimono friends oh kimono friends show of the year guys <laughs> oh, no. tell us about tell us about the about the best anime money can't buy <laughs> it's so cheap it's so cheap like there's pretty obvious clipping errors all over the place. Oh. It's amazing. Oh, jeez. Are you, are you um, sitting there pulling the, the dance nut and being like, the wheels on this bus? No, the <laughs> wheels on this bus are going great. Oh, um, really? I mean, after they got the battery back. Uh, so <laughs> Nice <laughs> segue. Smooth segue. So in the, at, the, uh, at the end of episode two, they, uh, they found this bus that used to go around whatever Japari Park is. Uh, and they uh, they put it back together, but it, its battery was dead. So episodes uh, episode three was basically them going up into a mountain, onto a mountain, and uh, getting access to a bunch of solar panels that were up there to charge the battery. <laughs> and on the way, they meet an alpaca who lives in this like cafe, which is abandoned, of course. They make it to and, Polar Bear uh... Cafe. Oh, <laughs> <gasps> uh, I wish. No, it's it's just an alpaca, and they meet. Uh, I think it was. Is like it not crystal... the alpaca cafe? Oh, please. No, no come on. <laughs> no, because she found it. Like, she doesn't... I mean, eventually she may want to uh, you know, rename it that for thematic reasons, but... um, No, it's... Uh, let's see. They also meet... Oh, they also they meet Crested Ibis on the way up, who's, like, a bird. She doesn't have, like, wings. She's got, like, head wings. Oh, oh Lord. no. Kind of like, uh... <laughs> you know the things on Alien 9? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, wait, headwing. Like Does it guys? look like um like Toko or whatever from Utawara Rumino? Um or Toka? Oh, yeah. No, she had she had long ears, but I don't think she really had like head wings. They look, you see the most wing esque. It's kinda like but Like what? They look they looked wing esque. I know I hear what Sue's saying. The, the yeah, in my head I mean I haven't watched the show in a while, but it, it reminds uh, me of hers. But okay, the, okay, Alien Nine. Don't the, demons in, don't the demons and Darkstalkers have like head wings or something? Yeah, but they're bats. Anyway. Uh, we get anyway. we get the we get the picture. Oh, anyway, my favorite part of the opening theme is that uh, when like it cuts between a bunch of the different uh, zones, and you can see the the principal characters sort of be in there, and it, like Crested Ibis in the op is sort of like she's maintaining this static pose while like drifting through the air. It's, wow, her head yeah. wings aren't even flapping. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just be going. I'm so few yen. <laughs> to animate. Bye. I'm basically cheap. Bye bye. <laughs> no, but they uh, they get the battery charged up and they take it back down and they plug it back in the bus and then uh, episode four is them uh, going across the desert or starting to go across the desert. 
and they meet a sand cat and then they take a detour around a sandstorm and then they find like this uh like some substructure uh that's obviously you know human built uh like a uh a tunnel with a road in it that's like an access uh an access tunnel to get from one part to the other so they go down there for a while and eventually they uh they get into this this unfinished exhibit and meet uh this thing called a a tsuchinoko which is what is identified in the subtitles as a cryptid oh one of those uh, like at the, if you pull up the Wikipedia entry, it actually calls it a yokai just because it's sort of like a mythological creature in Japan, which is some kind of snake, I guess. Oh. Snakes are identified by having hoods, by the way. It, look, it really looks like she's wearing a hoodie. She's even got like front pockets for no readily apparent reason. She just well, completes the look, I'm sure. Right. But she actually knows some, something about what's going on because like, she, uh, she's in the exhibit like researching it as far as like the previous civilization. Oh my! And at the end of the episode, uh, like once the once the other characters drive off, like she uh, she thinks to herself, like I wonder if that girl that they're with is like one of one of them that didn't get annihilated. Whoa! And I'm like what? <laughs> okay, I was right. Post-apocalypse. <laughs> also a pre-apocalypse because again they're all female. As soon as one generation is gone, this this planet is a dust bowl. Well, I well, thought I thought the idea was like regular animals come into contact with the magical volcano crystal and turn into animal girls. Animal girls. So yeah. assuming so, there's regular animals we, just we, outside the radius. I was gonna say we haven't seen them yet, have we? Well, not I mean, really. No. There's every animal of... in the park has been a friends. Oh, okay. They're also cheaper to animate. Sort of. Yeah, there's got to be a lot of human models lying around. Probably fewer for, like, ocelots and stuff. I suppose that's true. Anywho. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing where this one goes. Oh, my. Holy cow. See, what have you been up to? Ah, uh, okay. So, I'll be continuing March Comes In Like a Lion as that episode is, or that show is 22 episodes, uh, the second half being this time mm-hmm. around. Okay, so March... Uh, continues to be an amazing show. It was actually kind of a surprise. I thought they were starting to set up an arc for the second half. Uh, Ray's sister shows back up, and this time we learn that she is dating, or appears to be dating, this much, much older guy who is extremely violent, and his wife is in the hospital, and like he's just it looks like he's having an affair with her. And he is also a shogi player. So... There's some there's some backstory because he and Ray got into a fight at one point and he uh, he comes out of the Shogi Hall and there's something called the Lion Tournament that's going on, which is a really big tournament for Shogi players. And Ray and him are on a track to meet each other. If they both keep winning, they're eventually going to have a showdown. So Ray is like, I have to win. And he just does all that he can. There's an amazing episode where the uh, Kawamoto sisters are involved. And, like, he realizes for the first time that, like, being in their house is the happiest thing he's ever felt. But he can't stay in that house too long when he has to go to play shogi matches because shogi to him is a representation of pain. And to fight in a shogi match with all that he has, he has to be in pain to start with. So there's, there's an episode where he comes to this realization and he's like, I, I can't be here in this house. It's too warm and comforting and inviting. I have to be in pain <laughs> to be able to up. go into battle in 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 shogi 
and it's it's it was pretty it was pretty intense. Um, so I'll be talking about episodes 13 through 15 this time around. I don't know if I said that already since I missed last time, but, um, yeah, so there was that realization and that just like, that was like heartache. I was just like, oh gosh, why? Like he knows this place represents happiness and like he can't <laughs> Maybe find a different let sport. himself be there. Yeah. You're just like, oh, why? So that was that. Uh, so I thought there was going to be this big showdown. So he goes up against this other guy. And he gets wrecked and it's, it's so rough because he spends like a whole episode or so like training for this, basically like downloading all the games, doing all this memorization. And then he just gets wrecked by this other guy. And he's like, this is it. Like I just, he throws in the the whole facade and I was like, oh, well, okay. And he just shatters as, like, a person, and you're like, wow, okay, you, like, set up this whole thing for an arc and shattered it in one episode. He loses. So I'm not entirely sure where the show wants to go, Uh, and right now, the the guy that he lost to has ties to um, the the roly-poly kid who made the Shogi Cat book, his, like, his best friend, I say in quotation marks, uh, Nishida or whatever. Not Nishida, what's his name? <laughs> Nishida's, Nishida's like, from Chihayafuru. Chihayafuru, exactly. Yeah, what's his name? That uh, was who I immediately pictured. Yeah, oh, I can't remember his name right now. Good heavens. This is why I gotta write notes. Uh, anyway, the the big kid who's always being a rival with Ray. But anyway, we get some really, really interesting backstory on Ray's uh stepsister which was important now because she's just been this like viper woman that comes into his life wrecks everything like this tornado of pain and then just waltzes out and you're like i hate you i just want to punch you in the face all the time uh but they have a sequence where and this is one of the things i i just in awe of the way march can drop a scene and like instantaneously 180 degree change a character around so there's a sequence where he remembers the reason why he moved out of the house and it was because his his sister was going to move out and she's like sitting there and she's like i'm going to leave now and he's like why you you don't have to and she's like well you know i'm just i'm just not good at shogi so i should just leave and she's got that like viper attitude and he's like there's more to life than shogi you know and she just looks at him and then immediately breaks into tears and she's like you have no idea how awful of a person you are when you say that because you can tell me there's more to life than shogi but to my father there is nothing more to life than shogi no matter what he says and there's a sequence where he's like patting her on the head and he's like there's more to life than shogi and she's like in that moment it could have, like, he should have just backhanded me because it was that kind of pain. And the loneliness I feel in this house because I can never be good at the one and only thing he cares about is crippling to me. Like, soul-breakingly crippling. So her personality is basically weaved out of destructive, crippling loneliness at never being able to meet her father's expectations. And I was like, Oh, jeez, like, everything inside of me hurt for her instantaneously. So, just just this incredible moment where I got to see this character totally transformed. I see her in a totally different way, and I am interested in where the show is going next. 
because uh, clearly the arc I was looking for is is not there, and the the tournament's still going on, like I said. But I don't really know exactly what they're trying to do with Ray's character as we, hmm. you know, walk our way to the end, because we've still got a solid like six or seven episodes to go. So I I don't know. Anyone's guess is as good as mine, but I love this show. Look forward to it every week. Definitely, definitely high on my list and continues to be. It's it's going to be one of those shows I really hope I can just recommend to everybody. It still looks Sweet. gorgeous. Right. It still sounds gorgeous. High, high on the list. Nice. Awesome. Hmm. I well, guess then, that brings see. us back around to you, Scott. Because uh, How's I'm the evil much... going? Oh, the evil. Uh, so Tanya is at uh, episodes four and five uh, as of this this cast. And things are kind of looking up for her. Uh, so she does very well. Uh, and then and sort of ends up, they say, all right, go, go back from the front lines and go to university, like military academy, uh, to to sort of better yourself as an officer. And she's like, awesome. Rear, rear position, no danger. Like, let's do this. Uh, and so she succeeds very well at her studies and all this other stuff. And uh, But God is busy sort of messing things up on the side. Like, making like sure he her does. Like he does, making sure her life doesn't stay easy. Uh, and so she has an opportunity in the library to talk to, like, the general of the strategic planning department. And and she's like, oh, my goodness, like, in a company, this guy would be, like, in charge of, of strate- you know, business strategies. This is a big, important guy. Because everything for her is in terms of, like, what it would be like in a business setting. Uh, and essentially, he's like, he, like, they get to talking about the grand strategy for the war. Like, what? Do, how do you think that whatever whatever the country's called germany because i can't remember the name of their country is going to do and uh you know she knows that germany basically loses this this world war one essentially she knows that germany basically loses this war so she's like well i i think you should probably and basically describes like a sort of world war ii style total war like war against the populace of other nations rather than just their armies kind of strategy the guy's like well this is interesting like submit me a paper on this proposal and how you would win such a war and uh and so basically she does this and in sort and then she's like the guy's like excellent well upon your graduation like make up like start forming a battalion to carry out this kind of activity and so Wowza. essentially okay. she, yeah she's going to make this this mage battalion like all mages and sort of use overwhelming rapid force to accomplish objectives right which is not the the style of the time like right now mages are sort of embedded with larger units of infantry and used as sort of special units. And she's like, what if we had all mages and we just use them to destroy the enemy by, like, wear them down by killing so many of their soldiers that they could lose the will to fight and also attack their economies. Someone should tell her that's a bad idea because Germany, Germany's enemies might get a hold of the mages and clone them in tubes. <laughs> and then there might be a giant mirror match for social... Oh, wait. That would be the worst. <laughs> nope, that would be the best. <laughs> Uh, and so like, and there's only like one guy who's sort of against her cause he saw her do some pretty mean Why stuff. Why were you back so bad Shumatsu? Why? Oh, Shumatsu. And, uh, so he's like worried about her and he's like, he's reading the, this, this proposal and he's like, oh geez, like the, the stuff she's writing is awful, but at the same time it feels plausible and I don't, I'm really worried about why this is. Cause like she's sort of bringing to bear much more advanced like wartime strategies than are the norm at the time. Uh, so anyway, she gets put in charge, makes a battalion, like nearly kills everyone in it. But by the end, they're fanatically loyal to her uh, and then goes off like this other country invades 
it was sort of like picture sort of like Poland invading Germany, like a bunch of guys on horseback in formation firing in volleys. And then her like, you know, highly trained mage squadron shows up. They have no anti-aircraft abilities or even mages of their own and just blows them up from the air with impunity before like going to their capital city and destroying most of their infrastructure. So Yikes. Yeah, like th Good things gracious are gracious Charlie Brown. Yeah, things are things are going very well for Tanya, uh, but not well for literally everyone else. <laughs> so the story is living up to its name, and I am fascinated to see where they're going with this next. I am honestly surprised that they've managed to make this premise actually compelling in any regard. Well, yeah, like I said, it seems like it'd be up your alley, Dan. Because <laughs> based on the description. I was absolutely certain I was never going to watch this show. So, uh, well, you've you've twisted my arm, and I'm going to have to at least see how the first episode or so goes. Right. No, I'm glad to hear it. All right, that's what I got for Tanya. Which takes us back to Brennan, I think. Hmm. Well, I'm not actually current on uh, Demi-Chan, which is what I talked about last time. I've seen three, but not four. Uh... I am watching another show, which I'm also actually not current on, but uh, I haven't talked about the first couple of episodes yet. And that's, I'm sensing uh... a theme, Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> it's Genericon time. We've been really busy trying to get everything together. Oh, it's true. Everything's burning. But I'm also kind of watching uh, Kobayashi-san's Dragon Maid, which yeah. is about a uh, an office lady who goes on a bender and wanders into the forest drunk and... Basically, uh, like, a, like, while she's blacked out and can't remember what's happening, like, she talks to a dragon and says, at some point, hey, how about you come live with my place? And then, the, like, the next day she gets, uh, you know, the next day, hi, Jinx. Uh, kind of. The dragon shows up. Mm. Like, are we talking full size, like, fire breathing dragon? Um, initially, yes. Oh. But uh, she can collapse herself to a mostly human form with uh, cool-looking little dragon horns and a, like, big, meaty tail coming out from under her dress there. Huh. Other th uh, <laughs> Why does this so remind me of freaking Chemico DX when you describe this, Brendan? <laughs> like, and then some <laughs> random thing comes from the woods to live with this kid. Now we have a dragon maid. We'll and now there's a dragon maid. I mean, I'm uh, sort of surprised they're both, like, is the, is the dragon also female? Yes. Oh, so they're actually, I guess that's somewhat different. That but, does But uh, she is also romantically interested in uh, the office lady. Oh, uh -huh, thank Scott, goodness we dodged lose. that bullet. Yeah, thank, <laughs> thank goodness. Thank goodness my expectations were maintained. <laughs> dodged it. We didn't so much dodge it as we headbutted it. Uh, the um, Kobayashi herself, the office lady, is much more neutral on the subject. Huh. So basically she is aware of it and she's, you know, being good to her word about letting her stay, but, uh, you know, is, is not really participating in any kind of flirtation at all, which is a little odd. I well, thought I mean, like, the... why bring that plot point up, but maybe it does something later. Well, also can you like, that's also harem standard, right? The guy's always like, Durr! It probably helps with the hijinks, too. Oh, but no, but like the only reason we know this is because Toru, who's the dragon, like tells her this to her face. Mm. Oh, all right. Well, that's different. And she's like, OK, <laughs> moving on. We're just going Good to, take to know. That, put it over here. here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the show is not not as bonkers as Chemico DX. It's definitely not as rude in any any uh, 
any metric. That's a high. So is bar, this like though. a is this like slice of life or a character? It's kind of slice of lifey. It reminds me a lot, actually, of a little uh, a, a season of short episodes that came out a little while back called Moromi San on the Shore, which was about a guy who went fishing at this place on the edge of Japan, you know, where the coast is, and he hooks a mermaid, and she basically. Uh, makes friends with him and brings a bunch of her other like weird mythical creature friends over to harass him. Oh, did uh, this, so this this dragon also bring some friends to harass uh office lady? Kind of, yeah. Oh, well, I guess uh, in the go. second episode a uh, a dragon a, a very a much younger dragon that is acquainted with her uh who you know goes around as a small girl rather than a dragon most of the time uh shows up and apparently she's like uh, not on, not currently on good terms with like her parents or whatever, whoever she was staying with. So, like she starts living with them too. And episode three is like involves a lot of uh, moving into a new apartment now that there's oh. three people. <laughs> That's remarkably and, practical. They don't already own a giant bathhouse or something. No, uh, Kobayashi lives in an apartment, and then now she lives in a slightly larger apartment. How? Okay, wow. Down to earth. How does she manage to afford this? Do the dragons share some kind of horde? Um, I don't think so. Hmm. Does that she would just be way a, too practical, Dan. Like, does she just have a pretty practical. good job? Like, what's her... What's like, she her? has a decent job. I forget exactly what it entails. It, there's some... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's some... Oh, blast. Like, factory talk that goes on, but I didn't pick up any of it. I imagine no. a lot of bookkeeping in Excel. <laughs> Probably. Hayworth partitions. That would be epic if that's what it is behind the scenes. But then at the end of episode three, um, like the, she throws a little party to get out of a work party and lets Toru invite a couple of people. So she invites Fafnir. Of course uh, she does. This, like... Like huge angry black dragon who uh, manages to collapse himself into a butler-looking dude per Toru's request. Uh, Kobayashi has kind of a thing for maids and butlers. I it's can. Like her... I can tell. <laughs> and um, Quetzalcoatl. Oh, really? The winged yeah. serpent. You're serious. A winged. I mean, that's that's what that's what they said. <laughs> Why not, Dan? Just, the party's just getting started. Like, I in this image, I have just, like, the Garfield and Friends theme, except it's, like, Kobayashi <laughs> and Friends, like, Kobayashi <laughs> and Friends, and it's just, like, all these little dragons just keep appearing, and they're like, yeah, and there's, like, the lazy one, like, Fenrir is just, like, taking a snooze, and, like, Odie is frequent, like, the the run dragon she invites, and she's just like, hey, hey, play with me, Fenrir, and Fenrir's like, freaking go away, I just want some lasagna, leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> like the winged serpent appears and is like, "Hey guys, like who invited you? Get lost. Who, who invited you, Orwell? Hi. Yeah, they're Orson. they're mostly pretty chill with each other so far. Uh, interesting note actually was uh, during the party, the uh, Kobayashi's uh, male coworker who she hangs out with, like was playing Dark Souls or not Dark Souls or something, something very obviously intended to evoke Dark Souls." Yeah. And he gets uh, Fafnir into it. Oh, good. I'm sure he won't be super angry and, like, attack something. Seriously, no. I was going to say, if she's anywhere near the Calumet battle, this is going to end badly. Oh, good grief. But, um, no, it's uh, it's another pretty chill show. And, uh, like, every once in a while, they'll, they'll like, break out the full-on uh, 
they'll they'll bring Kyoani's massive animation capabilities to bear on like doing the whole dragon thing, and it's uh pretty to look at. Oh, I'm nice. liking it so far. Cool. cool. Cool beans. Well, we've got a little bit over time. Uh, for those of you that were like crying profusely that classical Lloyds did not make its dramatic <laughs> appearance last time, I'll just fill you in. Like episodes thirteen or fourteen, fifteen, sixteen is is what we should be talking about now. Uh, I'm not up to date with sixteen, but fourteen and fifteen were just atrociously bad. So you'll be happy to yeah, know for, the classical fourteen Lloyds is easily the worst episode. Continues so to be far. terrible. Yeah, in fourteen they all get turned into fish. I'm not even going to go into why, but they all get turned into fish, and that <laughs> no, sure is an episode. There's no reason why. It right. just happens. It just happens. And then in episode fifteen, Sosuke attempts to become a character by having He's this the battle brother, of the right? bands. Uh, he's, he's the a, stupid he's, kid who just lives in the house with oh, them and like never yeah, goes he's home. Not even, he's not even related. He's not even related. Right, he's, he's not even like, related to Kanai. He just, just lives in that house. Right. He's, he's basically a, a freeloader. I think my favorite yeah. part of the whole show is the fact that they like list constantly refers to him as Tool now. She won't even say <laughs> his name. She's like, what do you need, Tool? And I'm like, thank you, List. At least <laughs> you're you. there to do that for me. But holy cow, it's so bad. The only good part is Mozart like ripping Sosuke a new one. Like That's true. Like so Sosuke like makes his own music for this festival thing and plays it for all of them. And it's like, you know, ears screech. It's just awful. It's the worst. And then finally they're all like, no one wants to give him like negative criticism because it's it's so bad. And then Mo- <laughs> Mozart's just like just nonchalantly says everything that's wrong with it in like a, you know, maybe like a one minute thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, just... Harsh. Yeah, and everyone looks at him and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, did you did you just say that? Like out loud? And Mozart's like, what? Everyone should be able to handle some criticism. And you're like, Mozart, well, like... it's the one and only time I can deal with your character. I Thank just kind of hope that he would have grabbed like the music out of his hands and simply torn it in half like a phone book. Honestly, well, it's, it's better what he does. Yeah, like he here. shuts him down pretty hard. Yeah, it's it's good. And then he just walks out, and I'm like, alright, oh thank goodness. So uh, maybe we'll talk about 16 next time since I'll be more up to speed. But until then, everyone, thank you for listening. Catch you next yeah. time. Have a good one. Later, folks. This is a podcast by The Con Artists. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes or your Android podcast app of choice. For more anime and game-related content, you can visit us online at theconartistsblog.com. Thanks for listening. Yeah.